Exodus chapter 6, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 13. And uh, in your Bible, uh, your pew Bible, it's on pages 63 and 64. It's Exodus 6, 1 through 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by, by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. He hugged me and promised he'd always wear his St. Christopher's medal to keep him safe. Don't worry, I'll be back, he said. Be a good girl, make me proud. And just like that, my dad was gone. I was six years old. And all I knew was that I wanted him to come home. Our daddy was big and strong and in the special forces. A Green Beret. Mom told us his fellow soldiers called him good in the woods, which meant he could be counted on. I know I counted on him. He was always there for us, telling jokes, protecting me, until he left for Vietnam. The months went by, Christmas, Easter, all without him. And then a letter I wrote to him came back unopened. Mom didn't say anything, but I felt something wasn't right. Soon after, a phone call in the middle of the night, then a telegram. Daddy's team had been dropped near the Laos border, but they never radioed in. And when a helicopter went in to search for them, they couldn't find a trace. Our long wait began. Two years later, 500 GIs who'd been held captive returned from Vietnam, and I thought, 
This is it. I packed my suitcase to go meet him. Honey, we're not going, Mom said, hugging me. He's not on the list. I realized she'd given up hope that he was alive. And the tears came. My dad wasn't at my wedding or there to meet his grandchildren. My brother Lou wanted to live up to my dad's ideals of patriotism and service, and he joined the army when he was 19. He was serving his second tour of duty in Iraq when, after 36 years of missing our dad, we got word they found his remains, and with them, his St. Christopher's medal. Lou escorted our father home. It was now my job to give the eulogy at his funeral. My pain was as fresh as if he'd just died, but soon after I met a woman at work who'd lost her son in Iraq, and together we cried about my dad and her son. But later we remembered all the good times. Sharing helps all of us heal. And that's when I knew God's mission for me was to support the newest generation of Gold Star families. And so my story begins and ends with that letter I wrote my dad, the one that came back unopened, but which I carried in my heart for 36 years, and which I opened for the first time and finally read to him as we laid Special Forces Sergeant First Class Lewis Clark Walton, my dad, to rest. Dear Daddy, I pray to God for you every night to keep you safe and bring you home. We miss you very much. I bring a picture of Vietnam into school every Wednesday and tell my friends my daddy is there. I'm doing good in school. Lou said thank you for his airplanes. I hope my present comes soon. What are you doing over there? Lou's a big boy now, but I am bigger. I'm having fun here, but I miss my bike. I love you, and I want you to come home. Lou does too. Your daughter, Jackie. Sorry about your mascara, or whatever you, uh, trouble that may have caused. Uh, things like that uh, get to me now more than they would have when I was uh, like in my 20s, because now that I've got like a five-year-old little girl, it just strikes closer to home. But John Adams is quoted as saying, Posterity, you will never know how much it costs the present generation to preserve your freedom. I hope you will make a good use of it. If you do not, I shall repent in heaven that I ever took half the pains to preserve it. Uh, how do you think we're doing when it comes to freedom and our appreciation of it? I, it's one of those things that's it's there and so it's there day in and day out and we tend to take it for granted. We tend to take for granted 
what it means to live in a freedom that most people in the world still to this day don't experience. And we certainly take for granted the sacrifices that it took to purchase that freedom and to defend it. Freedom always comes with a cost and that comes with our spiritual freedom as well. There is no freedom without cost, at least not in this world that we know. So the question that I have for you today is, are you living free? Or do we even understand what that means when it comes to our faith in Christ? And if you are in any sense living free, are you doing so in a way that honors the sacrifice that it took to purchase that freedom? We're in this series called Long Story Short. It's a series that looks at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. 66 different books are contained in this library that we call the Bible. It, it was written by multiple different authors, as many as 40, and, and in over, it took over 1,400 years to compile it, and probably that's just the writing part. Longer than that, if you tra trace back to the oral traditions that were handed down before they were written down and so forth. It's quite a miracle then that the Bible manages to tell a cohesive story, the most important story ever written. All of it, we believe, points to Jesus. And your life, along with all creation for that matter, hangs in its balance. And we've seen that each week of the way. As we, as we began by talking about creation and how God ordered everything with boundaries and balance. And, but then we talked also about the fall of man where sin entered into the world. Sin being that missing the mark, putting things out of bounds and out of balance so that God's good creation is out of order. And we see this manifested in so many ways all around us. And then last week we looked at the covenant that God made with one ordinary guy, Abraham. And we pointed out that God ever since that moment has been working with ordinary people to, to make right what we had made wrong. If you have been doing any of the reading with us, uh, you've got a, another guide in your bulletin today that's for this week, and it's got five days worth of reading plans that will take you kind of in a bridge from this week, where we talk about the Exodus, to next week, uh, where we talk about the law, which is actually kind of a shorter jump uh, than we make some weeks. Like, this last week was a pretty big jump from Abraham up to the Exodus. What happened in that time span? And so this week, if you read along with us, then you read about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Uh, that's the father, the son, and the grandson. And then Jacob became known as Israel. And he had uh, the 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. And you probably also read about Joseph, one of his sons who uh, was a little bit arrogant and uh, not maybe uh, too socially clever and kind of made his brothers really mad and they sold him into slavery and he ended up in Egypt and long story short uh, became kind of the second in command to Pharaoh in a season where a famine struck the land and his family were in great need and they ended up coming to Egypt and unbeknownst to them coming to their brother 
Joseph, whom they had sold into slavery so many years prior. He was able to save his family. And they moved down to Egypt, where they enjoyed a great life. They got the best of the land and the best of the food, because that Pharaoh had a special place in his heart for Joseph. But that Pharaoh died, and so did Joseph. And time went by, and the Israelites became slaves. And for 430 years, they spent generation after generation enslaved in Egypt. This was not part of the hope and the promise and the covenant. When God said to Abraham, I'll multiply your nation, your people into a great nation, and I'll give them this land to live in. And here they are, stuck in Egypt. And that's what brings us up to today. And we're told that God said to Moses, I am the Lord. That word, the Lord, especially most translations, if you're reading in your Bible, if it has all caps, the Lord, that uh, means Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name by, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. <clears throat> I also established my covenant with them and gave them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. And so it kind of brings us up to speed, right? From Abraham to where we are now. And it's interesting, it just caught my attention this week that God says, I didn't make myself fully known to them. And I got to thinking about it and he really didn't. I mean, Abraham knew this God that spoke to him. Abraham knew this God that, you know, miraculously gave him a son. He, he had some incredible interactions with God. But his knowledge of who God was and what God was like was so limited. And so was Moses in this moment. And we forget that sometimes with our hindsight. Looking back, why didn't Moses have more confidence? Well, good grief. You know, this is the God that, yeah, he spoke to him out of a burning bush, but how's he going to get him out of Egypt? Alive. There's so much about this God that they did not know. God said, I've heard their groaning. I have remembered my covenant. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that message on covenant last week, you can go back and listen through our podcast or online or through Facebook and get caught up on this series. The first week was especially foundational and we'll keep coming back to it. Therefore, he said, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God and then you will know. Then you will know. See, he hadn't made himself fully known. You might say he had an ace up his sleeve or something or a whole deck of aces up his sleeve. Uh, so far all they knew about God was that he shows up and talks sometimes in a miraculous way. That he does a few you know, miraculous things like Moses throwing down the stick and it becomes a snake. Uh, you know, putting his hand in his cloak and it comes out as though it has leprosy and then puts it back in and it's healed again. And so 
yes, God, obviously you're powerful, but they had no clue who they were dealing with. But God says, I'm about to show you. And then you'll know. So Moses goes and he reports all this to the Israelites, but they didn't listen to him. Why? Because of their discouragement and their harsh labor. This is so typical of us, of humankind, right? Someone comes along and paints this incredible picture of a better life, and we can't see it, and we can't feel it, and we can't believe it because of the difficult circumstances that we're in in that moment. If you've ever been on hard times, it's hard sometimes to picture times that aren't hard. We deal with this with generational poverty in our nation, right? And in the world. But when you've got several generations who've haven't had a job, right? And they'd They've had no dignity of work and they don't know what that's even like and, and they've been, you know, stuck in the system generation after generation and you come up to one of these kids and say, there's a better way, there's a better life. You have all these opportunities available to you for free. Lay hold of them, take them, make something of your life, do something better, make the next generation better and they can't see it. Why? This is the same sort of thing, I believe, that Israel was dealing with. For 430 years, this is all they'd known. What do you mean, set us free? What does that even look like? What land? You know, what promised land? We've never seen this promised land. What are you even talking about, Moses? And they couldn't hear it. And they couldn't see it. I love this. The Lord says to Moses... Go ahead now and tell Pharaoh the plan, right? And Moses says to the Lord, If the Israelites won't listen to me, then why would Pharaoh listen to me? Since I speak with faltering lips. It's like, God, I think you picked the wrong guy. I can't even convince the people who should want to be free that they should want to be free. So maybe you should pick someone with, you know, like a charismatic personality or someone that can, you know, give a really inspiring speech and get people motivated because apparently it ain't me. <laughs> so, and I love this response. So it just says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and about Pharaoh, and then he commanded them, Bring them out of Egypt. <laughs> so Moses is complaining, you know, oh, I don't think it's me, God. And he's like, shut up and get to work. <laughs> All right? I, got, I got things happening. Just go tell him. And uh, <laughs> just cracks me up. It's not, he's just not even like arguing with Moses. He's just like, go do it. <laughs> and so then we know what happens next. We know because uh, even if you're not real Bible savvy, you've probably seen one of the umpteen movies that have come out about it, right? The great exodus. We, Moses goes to Pharaoh. He has a showdown with the magicians and he wins. But Pharaoh doesn't care. And so then the plagues start coming, right? And there's the whole Nile River turns to blood. What I, one thing I didn't realize is that most, if not all these plagues, 
attacked things that the Egyptians either held sacred or divine or you know were just super important to them so the Nile River was sacred because it was the giver of life that's the source of their prosperity as a nation was this great river that flowed through and God said yeah I'm in charge of it too and then there's the plague of frogs and I didn't know that they had a god and a goddess who were frogs I, frog images they, I don't know I don't get that whole era of worship but people were into frogs there I guess so so then God's like oh you like frogs here's a whole ton of them gnats and swarms of flies and livestock diseases and boils and hail and lightning which they had water and fire deities and here's God you know showering them locusts darkness one of if not the primary God in Egyptian pagan worship was Ra the sun god and God blots out the sun and Pharaoh's own son his firstborn son was considered to be a son of Ra divine and one day he would become a divine Pharaoh and so the last plague of all the worst of all after Pharaoh had hardened his heart time and again and had been warned time and again this Pharaoh or at least this nation who had killed all of Israel's sons. You remember that? That's how Moses barely escaped with his life in that basket on the river because Israel's sons were being killed. And now God says that some of Egypt's sons will be demanded of them. And the Israelites are told to prepare to leave and we know it now as the Passover meal where they kill a lamb and they spread the blood over the post of their doors so that they would be spared and they made bread that didn't have yeast in it because they didn't have time for it to rise because when Pharaoh said and relented and said go they had to go they couldn't waste time And go, he did say, and go they went. And the Red Sea parted. And God delivered them with a mighty outstretched arm. Something like 1,500 years later, Jesus is speaking with some Jews in his day and he said if you hold my teaching you're really my disciples then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free now, Jesus and his apostles talk about freedom all the time and they often reference this exodus and listen to what the Jews in Jesus day said to him my how short our memories are sometimes we are Abraham's descendants. Okay, they remember that part. And we have never been slaves of anyone. Excuse me? <laughs> Do you forget that 430 year period <laughs> where you were slaves until God delivered you? 
how can you say we shall be set free? And even in that very moment, they were being oppressed by Rome. They weren't their own nation. But Jesus just says to them, cutting right down to the heart of the matter, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. I used to read the New Testament and I would come across all these references to freedom in Christ. And I didn't get it. Because in our world and in our culture, when people talk about freedom, they're usually talking about freedom from a bunch of rules. And most people in our society view Christianity as anything but freedom. Right? Freedom would be the freedom to live however you want to live, right? Not to be told to do this, 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 and this. And so I used to wrestle, what, what does that mean? Freedom. And that's a sign that we have no clue. That perhaps we are even worse off than the Israelites who were discouraged from their hard labor and couldn't see a vision of a different future. We have no idea that we are slaves. Sometimes people get an idea of it when it gets bad enough that their whole world just collapses. And then at last they see the reality of the situation when they're sitting in rehab and they can't break the habit and they realize they're a slave. But there's so many things that we don't even recognize. We don't recognize that so many of us, we live as slaves to fear, to anxiety. So many people live as slaves to things like pornography. That's studies coming out every day about what that's doing to people and how it's enslaving us. We're slaves a lot of times to food. And we won't own it. But every time we try to get healthier, we fall flat on our face. Why is that? We're slaves to our appetite. We're not free. If you were free, you could eat whatever you wanted to eat. Okay. But you can't. We don't have the self-control to make it happen. Maybe you're really good in that area, but there's some area of your life where you're a slave to sin. Maybe it's spending. Maybe it's your temper and your anger. But if we take inventory, we can all identify places in our lives, right? Where we're not really in control. We're not. We're slaves. And Christ came to set us free. So my questions for you today. Are you free? Or are you still a slave? Are you still in Egypt? Did you ever leave? 
If you did, are you still longing to head back to Egypt? Do you keep trying to get back? That's what the Israelites did, right? If you're familiar with the story, I mean, <laughs> it wasn't no time at all before they were like, Moses, why did you leave us out, lead us out of Egypt just to let us die? <laughs> right? It didn't take long at all before they were longing to be back in slavery. And this stayed true for generations. Even after they had secured the promised land, hard times would come, and rather than trusting on God, what do they do? They go calling on Egypt and selling themselves out. Hey, can you come help us? Egypt doesn't come and help without a price. So they sacrifice a little of their freedom. And God says through the prophets, Why is my son heading back to Egypt? My son whom I set free. Why is Israel bent on going back into slavery? And so many of us, we can identify that with that in our lives. But Jesus came as a redeemer. That word redeemer, that's what you do when someone buys someone out of slavery. And he purchased our freedom by his very blood. God said... I will, here it is, I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Now I want you to think for a moment about that. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and then I want you to fast forward to a hill called Calvary and to a cross where God set us free by his mighty outstretched arms. Hmm. There's a scene in the book of Revelation. We'll get to it in the very last message of this series. It'll probably be August. And there's a scroll that contains judgment and justice for God's people but no one is worthy to open it and so the writer of Revelation John is looking at this and he begins to panic there's just this sense in the air that things are not right who's going to open this who's going to bring justice and then a lamb comes forward it's Jesus. And they sing all of heaven a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. So today we talk about the exodus of God's people Israel. But it was a foreshadowing of something much larger. Remember in the covenant last week where God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and through you, I'm going to bless all nations. And sure enough, through his descendant Jesus and by his blood, we have been purchased for God. Persons from every tribe, language, and people, and nation have been blessed 
and have the opportunity to come and step into freedom. Remember that video and that quote? You'll never know how much it cost. We'll never know. There's a song, a worship song that says, I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. And we won't know. But what we can do is we can strive every day to live into the freedom that was purchased for us, to not take it for granted. And to not chase after slavery again. Because it was for freedom you were set free. That verse has always seemed funny to me. It was for freedom you were set free. Well, duh. <laughs> right? And yet we've got to hear it. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why were you set free? So that we could step back into slavery? No. So you could step into a new life. Freedom is always about new life. God did not free the Israelites to wander around in the desert. Right? From the very beginning, he said through Moses, I am setting you free to give you the land that I promised. And that land represented a new life. A new life as God's people. And what Jesus did was pave the way for you to enter into a new life, a new promised land. New creation that begins in our hearts and someday will transform our very bodies and this whole creation. So step into freedom. Whether it's the first time and you've never left Egypt or whether you did leave Egypt but it keeps drawing you back. Step into freedom today. Confess to God your need for His help. Admit that you're a slave. You're not as free as you think. And ask Him to help you. God sets us free by His mighty, outstretched arm. And once again we see that the Bible tells the most important story ever written. And Jesus is the subject all the way through. And your life, along with all creation, hangs in its balance. Be free today. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are mightier than mighty, stronger than strong, and more than able to deliver us, even in spite of us. We admit, God, that we are too much like your people Israel in so many ways. Set us free, Holy Spirit, by your power to live in a new way today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.